J.T. Crowley is talking books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I'm delighted to have joining me on the show, Pat Backley from Auckland in New Zealand, to talk about several of her books, but mainly the two books that make up the Daisy series. We'll also touch upon another of her series, the Ancestor series, where there are currently two books written, Valentine George and Lou and Eustace, with the final question being reserved for her new book, The Abandoned Wives Handbook. Pat says that having divorced, she's got the writing bug, and she intends to keep the, the writing bug. She tends to pursue it, until she dies. So we better get her on the show quick, everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much for inviting me. It's it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. And it's a pleasure to link up to Auckland, New Zealand, you know, a city that I love so much. I've been there twice. The city of sails, everybody. And when you go there, yes, the harbours are full of uh, sailboats. Absolutely brilliant. Down by the viaduct all along the um, the coastline there, full of boats. That's just life in New Zealand, the outdoor life, everybody. Pat, uh, before we get into the books, can you tell the listeners and viewers a little about yourself and how you came to write the two books that make up the Daisy series? Yes, of course. Uh, well, you can probably tell by my accent that I'm English. I didn't immigrate to New Zealand until I was 59, almost 60 years old. Um, so it was quite a late start for me. Um, and where, during COVID, the first bout of COVID, when we were all in that horrible lockdown that I think most of us have completely forgotten about now, um, I was all alone and very fed up. And I spent three weeks lying on my sofa, eating too much chocolate and drinking too much red wine, watching rubbish on Netflix. And I thought after three weeks of doing that, I thought, Pat, this is ridiculous. Just get a grip, do something. This could go on for another couple of weeks because I don't know if you remember, John, we all thought COVID was going to be over in a month or two. We never imagined it would go on and on and on as it did. Anyway, I put myself together and I decided to write a book. Um, so I stayed up day and night for two weeks and Daisy was the product of that. Um, I had never written a book before. I, it just came. I think the time in your life, if the time in your life is right, you can do it. And I just did it. And that was that. And of course, you can see in the background, everybody, uh, the books, there's Daisy. Uh, that's the first Daisy, everyone. And then you can see Valentine, George, and Louis and Eustace. That's there, the Ancestor series. And then her latest book is the Abandoned Wives Handbook, which is there as well. She's got them all in, everybody. Is that the second day? Yeah. Now? That's not on the wall. Hmm. Oh, that's, anyway. that's, on, that's on the wall in front of me, John, that you can't see. Basically, these are big canvases that I have done every time I produce a book. I have a, a big canvas made at the local station so that when I go to do book fairs or book talks, I take them with me and they give people, give my audience something to look at if they're bored looking at me. They can just look at the books. Oh, I don't think they get bored looking at you, but we'll move on quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's open the first of the Daisy series books, aptly named Daisy. 
Now, both you and I agreed on the chapters that best reflected your book so as to give the listeners, viewers, a tantalising glimpse to the storylines. And, well, we'll do the same for the second Daisy, again, aptly named. You describe Daisy, the, the book, as a gentle family saga spanning almost 100 years from 1887 to 1974. You set the book in Alabama, Harlem in the USA, and London in the United Kingdom. You incorporate some of the evils of society, poverty, racism, snobbery, but equally some of the more positive sides of society, love, friendship, and family. So let's go to chapter six, headed up 1900, East End of London, everybody. Here we see young Daisy, who's now three, being taken in by Maisie and John, who live in the Stepney slums of London with five children of their own. Their lives are hard. Why have you put Daisy in this situation, this environment? I I think I just wanted, subconsciously, because I didn't plan the book out particularly, it just all flowed as I started writing. I think subconsciously I wanted to show in depth how bad the times were for people living in those slums um, because for ordinary people it was an incredibly hard time and by incorporating it into the story I could talk about how many families had to share an outside toilet and an outside tap um, and that they lived whole families lived in one or two rooms um, and by incorporating Daisy's new life into that it it kind of worked also the the place she went to stay when she was three was actually the house she was born in when her mother gave birth to her um so it kind of all pulled the story that part of the beginning of the story together and then just flowed on from there because daisy oh absolutely because daisy was um she was born to an unmarried mother wasn't she yes yes which obviously in those days was a horrendous shame um yeah so i won't say more about how she was born because I don't want to spoil the story for anyone who wants to start reading it. But yes, it was very shameful. Yes, we won't spoil the story, everybody. If you want to know <laughs> what the story's about, buy the book. <laughs> um, I mean, the chapters, the storyline in this book is absolutely amazing. Let's go to uh, chapter eight. Now, you head this up, 1919, Alabama. Here we have more characters, Theo and Melissa, both from rich families and nothing more than a grand socialite wedding would be acceptable to their families. And as for Theo wanting um, Matty, a black slave, to be his best man was highly controversial and definitely off the cards. For Theo, his views that everyone was equal despite their colour, wealth, gender and role in society was definitely not in keeping to the values of the rest of the family. Plus, women and servants were more seen as chattels as, you know, themselves. Melissa holds similar views, so they're both at odds with their family backgrounds, but they are united themselves. Why did you choose a wedding, um, you know, and also a new house and, you know, Matty and Ruth living with them? Because that's going to cause controversy. 
And of course, this is set in the plantation era in Alabama. Why the scene? Why the storyline? Why did you do this? <laughs> As I said earlier, John, I didn't really plan the book out. I just wrote from the heart. And I realized once I'd finished writing that the book carries all my own thoughts and feelings through it. So obviously I feel very strongly that everyone in the world is equal regardless of, of whoever. Um, and so without realizing it, I put, I ran that theme through the book and probably through all my books, if I'm honest. Um, wasn't intentional it just seemed like a good idea at the time um but it obviously it's resonated with a lot of people particularly in the states um i was very anxious i don't ever let anyone except my editor read my books until they're published um i didn't even let my don't even let my daughter read it and she is in her late 20s very politically correct as young people tend to be these days and when i told her that i published this or I was publishing this book and I talked about racism and slavery and she said oh my god mum what have you said she was very anxious that I would have got it wrong um but all my I have a lot of black friends and they all thoroughly applaud what I wrote so that was a bit of a relief because I kind of published it before I really thought it through um so I could have come horribly unstuck but obviously I didn't so because in the the books there are really there's two sets of families you know one in the united states and one in london and you are weaving them together because in the books everybody you hop from london to alabama to harlem and back to london um because they are different families but when you see in the second daisy you'll see how they're all interwoven they're all pulled together very cleverly by Pat. Pat, let's move on deeper into the first book, Chapter 13, 1930 Spitalfields, East <laughs> London. Here we have Florence and Joe. Now, Florence, everybody, is Daisy's, this is the first Daisy, is her daughter. And Joe is her husband. They're married. Florence being Daisy's daughter, the house in Artillery Lane. Now, Artillery Lane for Pat has got some significance. That's why she picked Artillery Lane. And I'll let her explain that one. And because Spitalfield okay, well, is, in, uh, is in London. So why, again, the storyline here, Artillery Lane, Spitalfields. Okay, well, all my ancestors come from London. Um, so it's, it's a part of the world that's very dear to my heart. Um, my ancestors that I never knew really. I mean, my mother was born there, but going back, there were generation and generations. So I always knew that I wanted to base the London part of the story in the East End. Um, I also knew quite clearly where I wanted, um, Flo to live. And so I, <laughs> Google is wonderful. I don't know how authors managed 20 years, 30 years ago when they couldn't Google things because research is so easy now. So basically I Googled old uh, cobble street passages in London with shop frontages. That was exactly, I think, what I typed in. And a few came up and I, I Googled the look of them and Artillery Passage was one of them. And 
And I thought that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. So that was, I used it in a fictional way. But earlier this year, I went back to London to see friends and I took myself to Artillery Passage where I'd never been. And I just burst into tears because I really felt as I knew it so well from the book. Um, and it's in both books. Um, I, yeah, I found it very emotional, very moving. Because the story here is, um, Flo and Joe is they have two children. Benjamin and John Joseph. And Flo has, you give her um, a, a business, a dressmaking business. And of course, she runs that from the shop and the, on downstairs in uh, on the artillery passage lane. But the story also here is dealing with the death of her first son, Benjamin, the loss. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's also thinking back to um, Maisie, who lost her daughter. So this is the story of how two women who've lost a child react, because one doesn't react very well. One puts it behind her and thrives to do a successful dressmaking business. How clever is that? Yeah. Where did that idea come from? (laughs) Thank you. Um, I had a sister who committed suicide, um, not through losing a child, but through losing a husband. So I guess that's always in my mind. Um, I also wanted to tie in the whole bit about, as you say, about one one mother not being able to cope. Um, And also when baby Mary, Maisie's daughter, was buried, she was buried with some some pomp in the same cemetery that Daisy's mother was buried in a pauper's grave. So I kind of wanted to pull the whole thing together to show the different contrasts of how how people lived and suffered in those days just because of a lack of money. Oh, yes. And of course, in those days, when somebody died, everybody would club together to pay for the funeral. That's just how it worked in the East End of London. Yes. Well, John, even when I grew up, um, and I'm 72 now, so it was obviously a million years ago, but we lived on a small council estate um, in Surrey. And I can distinctly remember as a child when someone in the street died, someone would come around the houses knocking and my parents would give money that they couldn't afford towards the flowers or something to do with the funeral. Um, Because, of course, all those people were from London originally, like my parents were from London and moved out to the suburbs. So I guess that whole tradition carried on. It obviously doesn't exist now, but it certainly did 50 years ago, 60 years ago, maybe. Because we're in the Docklands here, everybody. That's where we are in London. We're in the slums in the late, um, in 1887, that era, we're on the slums in the Docklands of London and life was very, very tough in those days there. Um. Now, moving on, you take us to, let's go to chapter 15, Pat, back to Harlem, but the date is 1952. And here we got more characters coming in. Samuel Davis, his wife, Winifred, their son, Jeremy. They had both descended from black African slaves who had endured poverty and masters lynchings before gaining their freedoms. Samuel's ambitions to emigrate to the UK in search of a better life for himself and his family away from the troubled streets of Harlem, New York, 
the boat journey on a brand new ship in the United States, the Harlem nightclub where Samuel worked, and the famous people where he, he saw, he met, he chatted with. This is a wonderful, wonderful chapter. Come on, spill the beans here. There's a few famous names she's dropped um, here. Well, I I personally have never met them, but obviously, no. Um, I did go to Harlem um, on my first trip to New York, uh, maybe twenty years ago, and I was fascinated by the whole whole Harlem scene. Um, and so, all of all of the places I visited somehow creep into my books in in some way or another. Um, yeah, I just, but I I was quite careful researching that whole Harlem nightclub scene because I wanted to be sure that those people I've mentioned did actually appear at those places at that time. I, because the worst thing when you're doing historical fiction is to get your facts wrong, because there will always be someone who pulls you up on it. Um, so yeah, so I was very careful doing my research. That's interesting, because I think a lot of authors uh, write about places that they've actually been, because they can see the places, they can envisage the characters going there. I mean, when you write your book, uh, Pat, are the characters real to you as you're writing them? Are they in your head? They are my family, John. <laughs> They're my family. In fact, probably six months after I published Daisy, my first book, I was talking to my daughter one day and I said, oh, do you remember when Theo said whatever? And she looked at me, she said, mum, I don't know your characters like you do. <laughs> so to me, they're very real. Yes, totally real. Now, let's move on uh, Pat, to give everybody a bit of a flavour of what the, uh, the second Daisy is about. The first Daisy in the first book had a, a hard start in life. She was born in the slums of London in 1887 to a poor unmarried mother. Now, here we are. We're a hundred years later on. We meet her namesake, the second Daisy. And in many ways, her life is easier. But in many ways, the two women are similar. The only difference is that the second Daisy in the second book is coloured, everybody. She's a coloured lady. I think this is going to be an interesting read. So, Pat, let's go to chapter six of this book, starting again. The scene is Daisy has left her husband, Henry. He's not a particularly nice character, everybody. And she's returned home to a parent's house. Now, her grandfather is Samuel. And Samuel, let me explain, everybody, was the gentleman who came across on the boat with his family in 1952. So you start to see there are links between the two books. And so Samuel is her grandfather. Jeremy is her father, because Jeremy was Samuel's son. And so, yes, so from Harlem in 1952 to the UK, his son, Jeremy, Daisy's second father. That's the link between books one and two. Jeremy tells Henry on the phone to leave his daughter alone. So much so, he'll help her with the divorce proceedings. So that's how she can have a new start. Tell us, Pat, what's going on in this chapter and this section in the book? And why the storylines? Again, drawing from real life, um, my personal experiences, um, 
I, I I just wanted to make the second Daisy very human because the first Daisy obviously was was quite a character, and I wanted the second Daisy to be equally so. But the book starts with her as a as a young girl, and obviously it's quite hard to give a young girl much of a character. So by introducing the whole disastrous marriage thing, it kind of gave more substance to her as a person. Um, and then from there, I could weave the rest of the book around her growing from that and learning and that kind of thing. Mm. It is because it, it's everybody, the two books are interlinked, um, but mm. you can't read book two, the second Daisy first. You really need to read Daisy one. That's how I refer to them. Daisy one and Daisy two, everybody. <laughs> but you've got to look at Daisy one <laughs> first before you go to Daisy two. <laughs> because it just doesn't make sense. Um, but I had to include the, the, the chapter New York, New York, you know, chapter 10 for with my mother coming from New York, all the places you mentioned, I feel and see them. And I just want to go back there again. I've been there. It's a wonderful place. And, and I suppose for many people, New York is, is a bit of a Marmite city. You either love it or you hate it. It's, it, it's in your face 24 seven. It's a wonderful place. Um, and here, you know, you have Theo and uh, Melissa, well, Melissa being the main organiser. She's There's a reunion, a union, a reunion coming of all the characters. Um, it's some of the new characters meeting some of the old characters, and it's a reunion that Melissa is organising in Harlem. And she's done this because some of the old people in the books well, the old characters, well, they're coming to an end. But she wanted to, uh, for the younger characters, the younger generation, to see what life was like for the oldest ones so they could have a glimpse back in time. Very cleverly done, this. Do you want to tell us why? Again, it's it was a way of pulling the whole story together, um, kind of explaining explaining how it all started and, and how it's all come together and the fact that they all go back to Alabama to to the roots of where it started, um, to the plantation and yeah, it just kind of as you say, it was it was a way for Melissa to teach the younger ones where where how it all started, where they where the American side of the family came from. Really? Yes, because there's Theo, there's Melissa. Um, and of course, just as equally as important, there's Matty and Ruth, because when Theo and Melissa got married, Matty and Ruth moved in with them. And that was because Matty really was Theo's best friend. And um, Matty and Ruth, everyone, were, um, they came from the, you know, the, the black African community and they were, they came through the slavery, their family lines did, and they got their freedom. And because Theo and um, Melissa were totally opposed to all, you know, the, the plantation history of slavery, black African slavery, and they just saw Melissa and Ruth, uh, sorry, Theo and Ruth as their friends. And of course, Theo and uh, Melissa moved to London so here's the link again. The characters are moving in between London, Alabama, and Harlem. That's why the storylines are all based there, everybody. And Pat's probably sitting there thinking, he's read the books. I have. I've read, 
I'm actually very impressed, John, because often I get interviewed by people and they have not read the books, so they don't understand the deeper messages in, in the book. So, I'm, I, yes, I'm terribly impressed. Thank you very much for reading them. Because they are wonderful characters, you know, and I can just see, you know, Sam getting on the boat with his wife, Winifred, and Jeremy, because Jeremy was very young in those days, and he was at the four-day trip across the Atlantic. was be, That was an adventure for him. And, yes. and of course, and you, you do have some wealth in this book because Theo and Melissa are very wealthy, very wealthy. Mm. And that's yes. why they could afford to live in a posh part of London when they came across. And Melissa is mm. very, very wealthy. So we've got the wealth, we've got um, poverty, we've got racism, we've got family, we've got history, we've got love. All of these are blended into these two books. But as I say to you, you've got to read Daisy first before you read the second Daisy, because it just won't make sense, the second book. Um, now, I loved this chapter in the second Daisy, Pat, and it's chapter 14, the next chapter. I was intrigued when, you know, when I read it, I thought, ah, oh, there's a different twist coming here. Because here we see John. Now, John is Flo's son, which in reality is the first Daisy's grandson. And he has a partner, Nigel. I thought, here's a twist. We've now got in the books family, relationships, and as I said, history. And now we're touching on a, a wonderful gay relationship between John and Nigel, who live in Nottingham, but then decide to go down, move down to London to join the family down there. Um, Daisy, too, is thinking of moving on, you know, and she's also moving on. You know, she's moving on from her divorce. She's planning to do different things. She is, um, she's in the bookshop. She's talked to people. She's moving on. Very cleverly done again, isn't it, Pat? You're interlinking <laughs> so many characters here, so many storylines. And, of course, the chapter is aptly named because you are moving some of the characters on. Spill the beans. Yes. And, um, yes, I am. And I did, I did incorporate that, that relationship between between John and Nigel intentionally, because obviously at that time in the 60s, um, homosexuality was very much frowned upon. Well, it was illegal still in the UK. Um, and then, of course, AIDS raised its ugly head. So for, for a lot of people, it was an absolute no-go area. Um, but I wanted to introduce them because back in the first Daisy, there was also a gay couple, um, the two, uh, old Frederick and young Fred. Um, they had a celebrate, celibate gay relationship but went on for years and years like 40 years so I kind of wanted to echo that in the next generation which is why I brought it brought carried it through and also to make to make the point that although John had tried to hide his sexuality from his family because he didn't want to upset them so he stayed away most of the time once he eventually got brave enough to take his his boyfriend, lover, whatever, home, his family welcomed him with open arms. So that was what I was trying to to portray, that sometimes as human beings, we're frightened of things when we don't need to be. 
you know. Um, so that kind of was what I was trying to get across. Ah. And um, John and Nigel lived in Nottingham, which is just down the road from me here in Derby, everybody. <laughs> oh, well, you mint yeah. talk. <laughs> I work in Nottingham, so I, I know where these characters come from. Right. In this chapter, there's another theme going on, and it's right. it's Daisy talking to Felicity, oh, the I original know. owner just, of the bookshop. Yes, I just <laughs> I just love it. I I just the thing is, John, you can probably tell I'm very passionate about my own books, which seems you know I, I'm not sure that's a good thing particularly, but. I love my characters. I love the scenarios they find themselves in. And, um, yeah, I loved Felicity Featherstone. Great character. It is because she was the original, um, the, the bookshop owner. Um, yes. Father gave her the money to open the shop. And, of course, people in those days couldn't afford books. So they came and bought the books. It was like a library. And it was a local community hub. And Felicity comes into the shop. And Daisy and herself get chatting, and it's all about the history, a bit about their lives, and this two—it's really—it's two women, of one a young woman talking to an old woman about themselves. It's fascinating, all wrapped up in this chapter. Everybody, it's another little twist, cleverly done. Thank you. Um, hats. Those are, you know, that's the two, uh, the series of Daisy, everybody. That's book one, Daisy, and the second Daisy. But Pat has written other books, everybody. And if you can see behind there, you've got Valentine, George, and Louis, and Eustace. Now, they are the Ancestors series. Those are the two books in the Ancestors series. So, Pat, can you tell us um, briefly what the Ancestors series is about? Yes, of course. And firstly, you're very wise to stay briefly because you've obviously realised that I can waft on for hours. So you must just stop me if I get carried away. Um, yeah, I once I'd written The Two Daisies, I realised that I love writing historical fiction. I love the whole research thing, which is a surprise because at school I hated research. But as I said earlier, I think nowadays with Google, it's so easy. Um, so having written The Two Daisies, I thought, oh, I'd quite like to write another historical fiction. And then I thought, why don't I write about my own ancestors? Because they were all Londoners, all ordinary people, but they lived through some extraordinary times, like the Victorian era, the two world wars, blah, blah. So I started and started writing Valentine George, um, which is actually based on my grandfather's life, my maternal grandfather. Um it's fiction, but it is his life story, then just kind of embroidered a bit. Um, it was fabulous to write because I realised the more I started writing, it was honouring his memory because he died when I was 17. So a very long time ago. But he was a great storyteller. In fact, he used to, he used to, when we were kids, we would all sit down on the floor in front of him and he would tell us he would he would say this thing as I was going through the muse, I met old Guy Fawkes shining his shoes. And as a little girl, I was convinced he knew Guy Fawkes. I absolutely was convinced he knew Guy Fawkes. And it's only when I got older <laughs> and I realized the time it was slightly wrong. Slightly wrong, but yeah. When I, when I was researching his book, I just typed in Victorian rhyming uh, things. 
And that apparently was how they used to start all the rhymes in the early 1800s, like as I was going to the fair. Um, there wasn't one as I, as I was walking through the muse, I met Guy Fawkes. So I think he probably made that bit up, but certainly the way he, he quoted it was very like early Victorian rhyming. Um, so he was probably a natural storyteller as well. Um, but he, yeah, he told me a lot when I was a kid about his life. And then my mother told me more. And so I just wove his story into the book. And in fact, on the when we were designing the front cover, I always give the designer a rough outline of what I want. And I said, I want a backdrop of a, a London street lit by gas lamps um, and a silhouette of a man in 1930s dress. So they kept coming back with all these pictures of the men. The background was great, but the man wasn't right. And in the end, I said, how about if I give you a photograph of my grandfather? Could you use that? So actually, the silhouette on the front is actually my grandfather. And when you look closely, you can see all his features. And then when when they published the book, inside at the beginning of every chapter, they actually put, I don't know if you can see, put his silhouette at the beginning of every chapter. Yeah. And when I and I didn't know they were going to do that. So when I got the proof copy, I just burst into tears because it was just like having my grandfather back. Um, so that was very exciting. And then I finished that and I thought, actually, I really enjoyed doing that. Perhaps I'll write about some more people. So I wrote Lou and Eustace. That has just a few weeks ago been published. And that's my my paternal grandparents. And on the front cover of that, you probably can't see very well on the board, but the front cover of that is actually their photograph. Um, their photograph taken in 1913 on the day they got engaged. So that's very special as well. Um, and again, they died when I was young, but I knew enough of the family history that I could start weaving the story. And then what I didn't know, I got all the censuses out and looked up and discovered that my nanny had had five sisters, um, but because my mum didn't like my grandmother very much we were never allowed to have anything to do with that side of the family so I looked up all the jobs that those ladies had done and fascinating so I wove the story around all the real facts um fabulous so I'm working on the third one in that series now now I can see why it's called the ancestor series you've gone on the ancestral lines yes and you came back on something you said oh you love your characters you love they are real and I'm going to say this to you. If you if an author doesn't love their characters, isn't passionate about what they write about, well, that doesn't come across in the book and the book won't take off. You have to be passionate about your characters. You have to be passionate about your storylines because if you're not, it comes across and the reader will pick that up. So any budding yeah. authors out there, you have to be passionate about what you write about. You have to know what you're writing about and you have to love your characters and your characters need to be part of your family in your head. And they're probably saying, come on, get up, write the next storyline. That's what <laughs> it's all about. Very true, John. It is. Yes, it's very true. Yeah. So, okay. There's another book on the wall there. It's called The Abandoned Wives Handbook. It is. Why have you done that book? Okay, I'm just reaching across, sorry, to get my copy of it. Yes, this little one here. It's it's small. I purposely made it small so it would fit in a handbag so people can just dip into it. The reason I I had no intention of writing this book 
Well, but actually, I don't have any writing anything, but I just do. Um, so I was while I was writing Lou and Eustace last year, and at three o'clock in the morning, which is when I have my very best ideas, I suddenly thought, why don't you write a book to help other women who've been through what you have? Because five years ago, my husband of 26 years, out of the blue, just abandoned me, said to me one day, I don't love you anymore. I haven't loved you properly for years our marriage is over and I'm not coming back to New Zealand. We were in London at the time. Um, bit of a blow, to say the least. So, but now five years on, obviously I've recovered and, and got my life together. And so I had this epiphany this morning and I thought, maybe you should write down some things to help other women. So basically I've done it just as a tiny handbook and I've done it in an alphabetical style. I don't know if you probably can't see very well. Um, yeah. With just little, just little, little, like a dictionary, just little bits for each letter. Um, talking about the feelings you will probably have and, and not, I'm not trying to tell people how to run their lives. I'm just, just trying to be comforting, really, and offer words of sympathy and understanding and just to tell them that it will be all right, but it will take a while. Um, yeah, so it's very exciting. The book has already been um, is already available in the States. And I've I've already started getting emails from ladies saying it's helping them. So my job is done. I always said if I could just help one woman by writing it, that would be enough. And obviously it's doing a bit more than that. So that, that's great because I think we're all here on this in this world to help each other. Otherwise, what's the point being here, John, really? None you at know? all. None at all. No. So what's next for Pat Backley? What's coming down? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on the third book in the Ancestors series. Um, which is based on my parents' lives. They both had very interesting lives. They both obviously served in the Second World War and had lots of ups and downs in their lives. So that's pretty interesting reading. Um, I've also um, submitted to three anthologies now, uh, which is great. One, I put four short stories in. I was only supposed to... A lady who interviewed me last year in the States um, runs a podcast and a magazine and various things. And she decided to do an anthology to cheer people up after COVID. So she contacted a few of the authors she interviewed and said, would we write a short story? Well, to cut a long story short, there were supposed to be 15 people writing one story each. A lot of them didn't didn't come up with goods in time. So she she said to me, can I write another one? Anyway, the outcome was I ended up writing four short stories for this book, um, which was very exciting. And since then, I've done two more anthologies and I submit to articles to magazines and things. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, two years ago, I hadn't written anything two and a half years ago. And now it's well, it's my life. I, it's, mm. it's wonderful to have a new career at my age. Best career I've ever had that I can do until I die. Somebody said to me recently, but Pat, supposing you suddenly lose your marbles. I said, well, I can carry on writing. It doesn't matter if it's garbage and no one wants to read it because I'll be happy. So so it's quite a nice thing to think. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I got to say to people um, a lot of the times, you know, um, you know, when I left the bank, I do different things. Yeah. And I'm here doing, you know, a totally different, you know, 
I work in a care home and I now interview authors around the world and I thoroughly enjoy it. Life changes, you know, you keep going. You don't just give up. You keep going and going and going and you find something different to do. So I thoroughly enjoy mm. it. And, you know, mm. you know, today, say I'm talking to you in New Zealand. I'll be talking to another author in, um, in the UK later on today. And then I'm off to Los Angeles, all courtesy of Zoom. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. We're talking to people all around the world. And you know, whilst we're doing this interview, everybody, um, yes, it's it was 8 o'clock in the morning for me, and it was 8 o'clock at night for Pat. Hey, 12,000 miles away, and here are two people chatting about books. It's fantastic. It certainly is. It's wonderful. Where can people get your books on, Pat? Um, well, they're available on all on all the online channels like Amazon and every everywhere you can imagine. Um, they are available through bookshops, but on online they don't stock them on bookshelves generally. Libraries, you can ask in libraries for them. Um, yeah, just anywhere that sells books, really. Um, or if you want a signed copy, they can I can send you one from my website. So, who do you see reading your books, and who do you want to see reading your books? When I first published Daisy, I somehow in my head imagined it would be mostly women. Um, and I'm very surprised that men seem to really enjoy reading them. Um, I think because they cover a lot of different topics. Uh, but yeah, I've had a lot of really good feedback from men, which is lovely. And across the age group as well, um, from teenagers right up to 100 year olds. So I think it kind of, I think because I talk, well, People say, people who know me, say that reading my books is like listening to me speak. So when I do my public speaking, I always say to people at the end of my talk, if you like the way I speak, you will probably like my books. If you hate the way I speak, you probably won't like my books. Um, so I think my books are just a reflection of me, really. So, yeah, I'm I'm guessing that there'll be a They'll be enjoyed by people across the board. I've also written my personal memoirs for anyone who wants to understand more about me as a person and where a lot of my inspiration comes from, um, because I have had a fairly checkered, busy life. Um, and I also recently last year, again, pure whim, I wrote 70 years worth of travel, which is just a little book with little snippets of my travels over the years, which, again, pe all sorts of people seem to enjoy. So... Yeah, now I've started, I can't stop, John. And you can tell I'm very passionate about it. <laughs> you have to be passionate, as I said, to, you know, to write a book. You need to be passionate about what you're writing about. Yes. Well, Pat Backley, thank you very much for coming on my show. It's been a huge pleasure. And chatting with you 12,000 miles away and, and reading the two books, Daisy and The Second Daisy, everybody. Fabulous books. Go and buy them. I'm thank Jody you Oh, you're very welcome. So I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching wherever you're in the world. Until next time, stay safe.